what I was worried about. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Christina, and I get to read our scripture for this morning. Uh, during this series, we haven't had the scripture up on the screen, so we'd encourage you to just listen closely and receive the word of God. We'll be reading from Revelation 2, 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church... Please stand, sorry. <laughs> Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes the words of the Son of God, who has his eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Christina. Well, let's, let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that yet again we get to come to your word and hopefully see afresh how relevant it is for our lives here in 2022. And, and this message that Jesus has for the church in Thyatira is so poignant and relevant for us. And I, help, I pray that you would help us to see that today. And so I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you spoke these words to John to speak to the church of Thyatira, which is now speaking to us today. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to see the authority of your son and the way that that works itself out in our real lives as Christians. And that today, as we, yet again, as with most of these messages in the seven churches, as we think about what it means to keep our allegiance fitted on you, keep our devotion toward you and you alone, God, I pray that your spirit would help us to, to sense the call, God, that, that whatever it is today that we need to lay down, whatever it is we need to repent of in order to remain devoted to you, 
God, I pray that your spirit would help us to do that. And so, Father, toward that end, God, would you unite your power with my weak words and help us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, for those of you I've not yet met, my name is Josh, and I serve as the lead pastor here at ICON. And uh, if you're new with us, you are joining us in, uh, in our little trek through the book of Revelation, which uh, I recognize can be a really weird thing to jump in on. And uh, you're here and you're like, what is this weird church? Is it a cult? You know, I feel like most churches that go through Revelation, it feels like a little weird, you know, because there's so many interpretations, so much craziness around this book. This book of Revelation has long been a source of controversy and has brought out a lot of the craziness in people. But we're going through the book of Revelation, not because we believe that the things that we're seeing in the headlines means that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. Um, we believe that Jesus is going to come back, but we also believe that this book of Revelation is for every day in the Christian life. That this book is meant to teach us how to endure and persevere in the Christian life, even when life or culture or circumstances feels pressing or even persecuting. This, this book is not for us to look at and in order to, to do some math on when Jesus is gonna come back. This book is for every day in the Christian life. And we're, we're five weeks into this series and I, and I thought it might be a good opportunity for us to slow down and recapture where we're at so far, okay? So first, for the, for the last few weeks, being, we've been going through some of, the, some of the messages that Jesus has to the seven churches in Asia Minor, Asia Minor. And in our first week of the series, we, we talked about how this book called Revelation is actually a letter written to these seven churches. That it's not a, a rambling trip of some crazy dehydrated Apostle John who sees some visions. It's, it's actually a letter. It's a, a letter written to these churches that's meant to equip them with what they'll need in order to endure. It's meant to equip them with the resilience that they'll need. And if you're like me, you're probably really ready to get past these seven messages to the church. Anybody else? I am like super ready to get past of it exclusively so that we can get into some of the craziness, right? <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, we have some crazy here, the deep things of Satan. Jesus is gonna kill Jezebel's children. There's some weird stuff, but hold on, it gets weirder. I'm, I'm ready to get past these messages so that we can get into some of the craziness and see how it actually applies to us today. I'm very excited for that. But there's a reason why we're going through these seven messages one by one. A lot of times whenever churches go through Revelation, they'll do different, they'll kind of clump some of the messages together in order to make it through in time. Um, but I didn't want to do that because each of these seven messages says something to the church today. Everything that Jesus says to these seven churches can be applied to us in the modern day church. And as Jesus both confronts and encourages these churches, I hope that you would see yourself within these messages. There are ways in which these churches that Jesus addresses, there are ways that they are tempted to compromise that many of us struggle through today. I mean, so far, as we've gone through these seven messages one by one, we've seen, we've talked about what it means to lose our first love for Jesus. Anybody else experience that? Anybody else feel as, as on fire for the Lord as you did when you first became a Christian? 
Probably not. You probably lost that. That's incredibly relevant. Or we talked about for the, uh, the church in, I'm forgetting it, Smyrna. Such a derpy name too, Smyrna. Smyrna. Anyways, <laughs> um, we talked about what, what to do when suffering lingers on, when suffering doesn't stop. Just last week, we talked about Christian nationalism and secular identities, all from these messages that Jesus gives to the seven churches. These are incredibly relevant for our Christian life. And so it's helpful for us to just slow down and go through these messages because it helps us in our own faith struggles and endurance, but it also shows us that the things that we're having to deal with or process through as Christians today are not new. It shows up in new ways, but the same struggles, the same trials, the same pressures that you might feel today as a Christian in Seattle have been felt by the church for so long. All of our persecutions and all of our trials are very, very old. Christians from the very beginning have encountered these things and many of them made it through, which gives us hope and endurance for our own situation. And so with that in mind, we come to one of the more, I think, strange messages that Jesus has for these seven churches. In his message to the church in Thyatira, we read of a, a strange prophetess named Jezebel, and apparently Jesus is so upset with this false prophet that he's ready to have her given over to sickness and to do the same to, to anyone who's following her teaching. And even her teaching is strange, what Jesus calls the deep things of Satan. What in the world is that? What are the deep things of Satan? I feel like we should know so that we can avoid it, right? We need to know so that we can avoid it. What's going on? How is this actually relevant to us? Well, Let's give some background around what is actually going on in Thyatira, and I think we might see how it can be applied to us. So the churches that Jesus has addressed so far have been in what would have been some world-class cities, cities like Ephesus or Pergamum. They were, they were among some of the largest population-wise in the Roman world, but also operated as these cultural hubs for the Roman world. They, they exhibited and embodied so much of what it meant to live the Roman dream. But here, we come to a city that is honestly probably better identified as a town. Thyatira was a, a small city or maybe a, a big town, however you wanna call it, that carried a little cultural sway, but didn't have much. It, it wasn't a massive cultural city it wasn't a port city that mattered a ton for the economic functioning of Rome, but what it did have, this little town, this small city, what it did have was its craftsmen. Thyatira was a small city known for its handiwork and for its craftsmanship. Throughout the city, you had silversmiths and goldsmiths that people would come far and wide for. This city was known for its craftsmanship. In fact, the silversmiths here in Thyatira were actually, in many times, uh, employed by the Roman government in order to mint new Roman coins. They were good at what they did. The, the linen industry was huge within Thyatira. It was huge, it was massive. It was said that because of the minerals in the water there in Thyatira, no other city in the world could have made a garment as red as they could. Which I know for us is like, okay, cool. We got red right here, so. But for them, that was a big deal. <laughs> It was a massive deal, or even if you read through the, through the book of Acts, 
you come across a, a lady named Lydia who Paul meets in the city of Philippi, and it says that she's this massively successful linen person who specifically specializes in purple cloth, and she's actually from Thyatira. And so the whole function of the city and the whole success of the city revolved around its craftsmanship. And each craft here in the city of Thyatira had what they called a guild. Anyone heard of a guild? Yep. A guild is in some ways somewhat what we would think of as a labor union today. It's a little bit different, but, but a little bit like that. And each craft within Thyatira had their own guild. And so the silversmiths had their guild, the, the linen people. What do you call linen people? Anybody know? Textile. Sti- wait, what? Textile, yes, textiles, the textile industry. That's more revered than linen people. So (laughs) the goldsmiths, they had their guild. And now because craftsmanship was the heart of the city, whatever guild that you belonged to pretty much became the center of your lifestyle. Whatever, whatever you did for a living, whether you were in textiles or you were doing silversmith or goldsmith, whatever guild you belonged to, that was the center of your lifestyle. Your guild provided you not only with a set of people in your same industry, just to call coworkers, but, but they also became the social and the economic and the religious center of your life. You did everything with your guild. And in many ways, you would do anything for the guild. It was the center of your life in Thyatira, which began to create some problems for Christians within this small little city. The problem for these Christians came up because of the festivals that each of these guilds would periodically hold. And all of them were hosted at the temple of the most esteemed God within Thyatira, Apollos, who was often called the son of God. So each guild had their own little party, had their own little festival, and they were more than just a little get-together. They were more than just your staff Christmas parties, right? These festivals would be the place where you caught up with old coworkers in your industry, but also the place where sacrifices to Apollos were made, where sexual immorality would, would run rampant. It was not your staff. It, it would be like going to your staff Christmas party and be like, okay, so I'm glad you can make it just so you know we got some punch over here. Uh, don't forget to put your white, uh, white elephant gift over here. We're going to hold the orgy in room 101, and then we're going to do It's okay. You can laugh, people. That's what it was like. Jeez, you guys are tense today. <laughs> Give me a break. And so these festivals created some problems for the Christians in Thyatira. They didn't feel like they could go and remain faithful to Jesus. Because of the sacrifice to these idols and because of the sexual immorality that happened at these festivals, Christians within their guild were beginning to see that they could not attend these festivals that were at the center of their guild and stay faithful to Jesus. Like Jesus calls out in this text, they have a love and faith and service that that stands out, that Jesus calls out. They recognize that they cannot do the same things that their coworkers are doing, attending these festivals and stay faithful to Jesus. That was their problem. But their problem created an even bigger problem because as the guild saw it, their lack of attendance to these festivals was a threat to the guild itself. 
It was a threat, threat to the industry itself there in the city. By abstaining from these festivals where they would make sacrifices to Apollos, the guild thought that these Christians would actually anger the god Apollos, and Apollos would take it out on their industry. And so they would say, if you don't attend, if you don't attend these festivals and participate, Apollos is going to get angry, and our whole industry and economic success as a guild will be threatened by his anger. And so... In order to protect themselves, the guild would just cut out any Christian who didn't attend the festival. They, they would cut out anyone who, who would not attend. If you were a Christian in Thyatira who remained faithful to Jesus by not participating in the festival with your coworkers, it was no question that you were going to be unemployed. That was the question here. It was either fidelity and allegiance to Jesus or your career. It was either fidelity or and allegiance to Jesus or their career. But not, not everyone in this church saw it as that black and white. Instead, there was a false teacher who Jesus gives the name Jezebel. Now with that name alone, we get somewhat of a picture of what's going on and, and what she is actually doing. Jezebel was not a favored name within Jewish history. No one in the first century is naming their little girl Jezebel. Do we have any little Jezebels here even? No? Okay. No one would name their little girl Jezebel. It was a problematic figure, and that's because Jezebel was an Old Testament character who was married to Israel's most wicked king, Ahab. And together, Ahab and Jezebel seduced Israel to, uh, away from their fidelity to God and led them into compromise with the surrounding pagan nations. And in fact, their, their seduction of Israel in the Old Testament was so denounced and condemned by God that it was actually the final straw before God sent all of Israel into exile. And it seems as though this false teacher who Jesus gives the name Jezebel is doing the same. She is seducing Christians away from their fidelity to him through what Jesus calls the, the deep things of Satan. She's using what, what seems to be some, some cultural clout to convince these Christians that these festivals are not such a big deal. She's trying to make gray what these Christians are seeing as black and white. I think that's what, me, that's what he means when he says the deep things of Satan. There's a little bit of a, the idea of some cultural clout or th this woman, this prophetess, is, is among the intelligentsia of Thyatira. And she's saying, you, you, know, you, you sweet Christians, don't, don't you know that it's not that big of a deal? That it, let's add a little bit more nuance, right? I love that word, nuance. It's not so black and white. It's a little bit more gray. Maybe you can actually attend these festivals and not lose your job. It's similar to what we talked about last week, Christianity light. It's the same push. It's the same press that there's some sort of way for you to remain a Christian and for you to still attend these festivals. You can keep your job. Even though what your job is doing is completely contrary to your Christian faith, trust me, there's a way for you to kind of kind of break this thing down and, and lessen the call of Jesus so that you don't have to feel so convicted. It's Christianity light, but no longer in terms of the government or the deities like it was in Pergamum, but Christianity light in, it, in being able to, to keep their job. And so I think it's pretty obvious 
how that can apply to us today. (laughs) That these Christians were facing outward pressures and inward corruption, all pressing down on this struggle. It was either fidelity to Jesus or their career. That was the pain point for these Christians. And my friends, I think this is a struggle that I know many of us have to work through today. Does any, just by show of hands, let's participate here. Who feels out of place in your work as a Christian? I won't put my hand up, I'm a pastor. (laughs) That would be a bad sign. You feel out of place, you feel foreign. And even more so, as things continue to, as our city continues to espouse things that are completely contrary to the Christian faith, and as business begins to latch onto that as an opportunity for more money, you and your job are going to be pressed. Now, I don't know if you're gonna actually lose your job for being a Christian, but I do know that you as a Christian in Seattle are going to have to think through, how am I supposed to be a Christian in connection with my work. Work is so much of the center of our city. I mean, there's many, there, there's many of us who maybe moved here, uh, are, are transplants just because we loved Seattle and we loved the geography and we wanted to be here. But most of you, if you're here, it's because of some job offer that you got, right? You're here because you got into tech or you got into real estate or whatever it might be, whatever business is booming in Seattle, you came for work. And we live in a city that is driven and ambitious. Our city has a, has a lot of fun, a lot of fun things to do, but I, I really believe that the, the cultural heartbeat of what makes our city is its culture of work. And in a city like that, where work drives so much, where what you do drives so much of who you are, not unlike these, this city called Thyatira, And again, in a city that espouses so many things that for Christians to participate in would mean infidelity to Jesus, what are we supposed to do? How are we to remain faithful to Jesus? Now, I don't believe that we here in Seattle, again, are in the situation that Thyatira was in. Some of us will face this question of it's your career or it's Jesus. I I know some people who were here at Icon who had to face that very question themselves and actually lost their business because of their faith to Jesus. I don't think all of us are there, but it, it, it could happen to us. How are we supposed to process through that? How are we supposed to work through that? Well, my guess is that many of you probably want me to give some specific encouragement or some specific exhortation, right? If you in your job, if you feel out of place as a Christian, or maybe you feel a little bit of pressure and you're worried, you probably have some specific question that you want me to answer, and I'm going to go ahead and let you down right now and tell you I'm not going to answer that specific question from here, okay? I'm not gonna answer that specifically. I want you to come and ask us if you have a question that you're specifically working through of like, hey, here's what's happening at my job. What should I do as a Christian? Just come and talk to me or talk to some of our other leaders here at ICON. But what I do want to do, and this is gonna kind of take us out of our text in Revelation, is instead talk about some basic principles that the Christian worldview holds around work around what work is and some specific things that I think if we really hold on to them, we might actually be able to endure should the time come that we are pressed. And I'm gonna give you a warning that these 
principles are basic, but it's what you need. <laughs> you, sure, like I said, you have specific questions, but these basic principles will help you to endure. I heard a, I heard a pastor just a, a couple months ago talk about his uh, experience of first climbing a super high mountain, and he talked about how whenever uh, he was doing it, he had this, gu- this guide that was helping him climb the mountain, and he talked about how this guide was giving him advice on how to basically make it through, how to not pass out on top of the mountain. And this pastor was like, okay, what do I do? How do I make sure that I don't die up here? And the thing that this guide told him was, in order to survive in an extreme environment, what you need to do is excel at the basics. You just need to think about what's my next step? How do I make this next step? How do I focus on my breathing? Things that all of us do basically always. If you excel at the basics, then you can actually survive in an extreme environment. And I think the same holds true here. That if we can excel at some of these basics around what work is as a Christian, then we can actually make it through when our environment gets extreme, okay? So we're gonna go through and just talk about a a few principles that that hopefully will help, okay? First, first basic principle of the Christian worldview with work is this. Your work matters to God. Your work matters matters to God. In the Christian worldview, work is not incidental, (laughs) it's not accidental, it is also not seen as an evil thing. Work is actually good. Instead, work is actually given in the beginning of the Christian story. The Adam and Eve, before sin even comes into the world and messes everything up, God gives Adam and Eve an assignment to work to work and to cultivate the ground. Now, now toil and, and sweat are in many ways the result of sin, but work itself is not. Work is an original good gift from God that we should embrace. We should enjoy our work. We should feel it as a calling that God is calling us into. It's not just the means by which you make money. It's not just the things by which you fill your time. This is something that God approves of. Unless you're doing something that's inherently sinful. You can't be a stripper for Jesus, okay? <laughs> Y'all need to laugh, guys. Golly. I am like sweating bullets up here. Golly. Unless it's inherently sinful, then it matters to God. It's important to God, no matter what you do. No matter what you do in your work, if you're working in tech or real estate, it's actually something that matters to God. Martin Luther, the the old reformer, used to talk about how vocation is what he called the mask of God. That everything that we do in our work is actually God masking himself through our work in order to, what he said, dispense his good gifts to the world. So everything that you do is actually God dispensing his good gifts to the world. So back then, you know, Luther talked about how the work in the farmer doing the grain and doing whatever else you do with the grain to make bread, that was God at work in order to provide for the needs of the world. And this is an essential basic for us, basic for us to embrace because it connects everything we do here on Sunday to the rest of your work week. If you see that your work matters to God, then you can, you can have a, a, a position that you're starting out from to see that this little piece of your life, this major piece of your life where you spend so much of your time is not divorced from your Christian faith. 
It's not divorced from the God whom you love and in whom you trust. It actually matters to him. Work is, a, is not a place to go and, and turn off your faith, but it's actually a place for you to go and see, God, what do you want me to bring to the world through my vocation? Have you answered that question? <laughs> if you're a Christian, you should probably answer that question. God, what do you want to bring to the world through my work? Because I know that it matters to you. But second, second basic principle, your work is not the most important thing about you. Your work is not the most important thing about you. Here at Icon, we, we have a few values that we kind of uh, try to focus our church around. And the very first one is what's called being Jesus-centered. And we kind of have a mantra for every single value, and the mantra for that is that our truest identity is who we are in Jesus. That who I am is who I am in Jesus. That I am not first this. I'm not first a pastor. I'm not first a husband or even a father. I'm first a disciple of Jesus. I am a son of God in him. And this is an important basic for us to embrace in this conversation because the reason why should we ever get to that point that we actually end up punting on the faith in order to keep our job, the reason why we would struggle with that is because we think that who we are is what we do. Our work is so often the place where we seek the most validation and affirmation. It's the place, for many of us, maybe not for you, where you kind of feel the best about yourself. Anybody else, if you're competent in your job, it's where you feel most affirmed. I remember when I first got into ministry, I started to realize how I just wanted to work because I felt like a pretty subpar husband, a pretty subpar father. But when I got into ministry, people would affirm me. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I did these things or when I did that, whenever I did some sort of ministry thing, people would affirm me. It was the place where I could honestly run to in order to feel good about myself. That's what it means to find your identity in work. And it is a poor place to find it. Your work is not the truest thing about you. Instead, I mean, gosh, guys, did we not learn anything from COVID? <laughs> did, we not, did we not learn anything from COVID that what you do at your job can be taken away like that? It is a pitiful place to find your identity. Instead, we can run to Jesus and run to, to who he's said us and made us to be. And then the three, and this is the last one, but I think one of the most important for this in, in this conversation is this. Your career, your talent, your success is not the essential reason why you are provided for today. I wanna say that again. Your talent, how good you are at your job is not the essential reason why you are provided for today. There's a more basic foundational reason for why you have what you have. The threat of losing our jobs or, or walking away from our career, career in order to stay faithful to Jesus is so often frightening just basically because we think that we've lost our source of provision, right? Some of us, we might really struggle with identity and not wanna walk away from our job in order to stay faithful to Jesus because we're afraid of what it's gonna lose about our sense of self. But most of us, 
just want money, right? Just want food on the table, just want a house for us to have. And so we think that if we, if we give up our career or if we even think about walking away from our job, if it ever comes to that time, we, we, we think that we'll be unprovided for. But friends, that is simply not true in the Christian worldview. It's not true that your success, your talent, is the essential reason, the reason why you have what you have. Instead, in the Christian worldview, work is the means by which we receive the provision we all need, but it is not the source. Every dollar that you've ever earned came through your work, but it did not come because of your work. That might sound strange, but that's what's true. Again, that behind everything you've done, everything you've made, there is a God who's actually providing for you. That God has sovereignly dispensed his provision through your own talent or your success. That God was behind it all. I mean, think about it. Did you even choose your gifting? (laughs) Did you choose your talent? You probably got better at it. You probably worked at it. But did you choose how you were basically formed or did God? Which means that every success you've ever had, due to your talent, due to your gifts, you can trace all the way back to a good and faithful God who provided those things for you. And so friends, everything we have, what we've been provided for, has not come only through our work, but it's come through a generous heart of God. And so we can hear what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that to not be anxious, To not be anxious, to not have our anxious toil be the fundamental reason why we think we have what we have. But we can believe that our provision comes from God and God alone. That what we have is because of him. Now, I wanna wanna pause for a second. And I just want you to, actually, I I wanna just take a second. Would you close your eyes and reflect with me? That, that third principle, friends, is so critical for you to embrace. I know that, that we as Christians, like I said, we, we hear what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and we, we have a mental assent to it. But I wanna capture this moment right now and ask you to reflect on whether you really believe that what you have is from God. Is it from him or is it because of you? Can you embrace that basic principle? Can you trust that you have a God who provides for every need you have? Look up at me. These basic principles, I really believe you need if you're going to remain faithful to Jesus. I really want, I'm I'm struggling to get there, but I, I want you to feel the razor's edge that Jesus puts out here in this text. That if your career consistently conflicts 
with your faith. If participation in your workplace consistently contradicts your faith, there is a decision to be made. And I don't like saying that to you. I don't, I don't know if any of you are there yet, but if you are, I don't like saying that to you, but that's the truth of this text, is that Jesus demands allegiance. Jesus demands devotion. And so we can't take our work and take our little pet called career and protect that from our devotion to Jesus, but we have to offer it up. And we can begin to offer it up if we really hold to these basic principles. And like I said, I know there's specific questions that you have that we'd love to talk with you through, but these are the, the basic principles that if you just take these, if you excel at the basics, you can survive in the extreme environment of your work. But I don't want you to just think about these principles and not think about whether there's a day coming where you might have to choose Jesus or your job. Jesus demands allegiance, and it's a razor's edge here. You either go this way, you choose the false teaching of Jezebel who's saying, it's okay, you don't really have to worry about it, it's not that big of a deal. Jesus wants you to have food, just, just stay in your job even though it contradicts with your faith. Are you gonna listen to that? Are you gonna listen to Jesus who says, I demand your devotion and your allegiance? I am higher than your career, which is actually the promise that Jesus has hidden within this text. <laughs> that he is over the industry there in Thyatira and over the career that you so treasure. He says there in the beginning in verse 18, the words of the Son of God, which again was a name for Apollos, who has the eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now you tell me, if you're a craftsman who's maybe a silversmith or a goldsmith, what are you gonna think of when you think of that or when you hear that? You're gonna think of your own industry. Jesus is trying to communicate here that everything that you're working through, he's over it. <laughs> he's above it, he's supreme over it, and he is in control, which is why he gets into later that he's the one who's been given authority. He's the one who has authority over everything that we're so afraid to lose. And so fidelity and allegiance to him, as contrary as it might feel, is actually our greatest assurance. The fear that we have about losing our job, we can walk away from that because Jesus is actually over these things that we so love. And so friends, that, very basic for you today. Are you willing to trust the protection of Jesus for your real life more than the outcome of your career? Should the time come that you have to choose Jesus or your career do you trust that he's enough of a provider, enough of a protector to actually help you make that decision and come out faithful on the other side? Do you trust that he is with you in that? And that's so much, friends, the heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are not alone to figure these things out. We are not alone to figure out our own survival. We are not alone to strive and toil toward what we think we need, but rather, the gospel says that there is a God who intervenes. We so often feel the need to use our work in order to provide some sense of protection or self-provision, but the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in and rebukes all of that and says, you're not alone. You're not alone to figure this out. You're not alone to ensure your own survival, but rather there is a God who sees the needs of the world most clearly and most supremely the need to have sin forgiven, 
And he intervenes there and he provides a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and that shows us the generous heart of God. The gospel, friends, rebukes our self-protection, rebukes our self-provision, and instead puts us in the posture of receiving from a good God who intervenes in order to save, who intervenes in order to provide for what we need, and if we can embrace that basic principle, friend, we can begin to process through our job as a Christian rather than just another employee. We can actually have hope that we'll remain faithful to Jesus should that time come that we have to choose. Should that time come that we have to choose between our career or Jesus, we can see that Jesus has protected me all along. He's intervened for my sin. What makes me think he's not gonna intervene for whatever need I have here? And we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as these Christians in Thyatira had to think through losing things that felt so important to them, that your son gave them the promise that he's the one with authority. He's the one who's over it all. And because of that, they can Trust him, and the same remains true for us today. Should we ever feel that our faith is threatened by our work, we can have the faith, we can have the trust to walk away from maybe the career that we spent a long time building in order to remain faithful and devoted to Jesus because he's the one who's over it all. And so I just... These are very basic things, but I, I pray, Father, that you would help our hearts to not just, not just fly on by these things, but to actually reflect and see whether we really believe them, to see whether we really trust that you are the God who provides for us, that you are the God who intervenes, the God who can be trusted. Those basics are so often the, a deeper, deeper place in our heart, even though we fly by them. God, help us to address those basics and, and whether we really trust you there. Don't help us to just walk away and say, yeah, I know you're gonna provide. I know that I need to choose Jesus, but help us to actually reflect and answer the question of whether we would stay faithful to you because we trust you in these areas. So Father, help us by your spirit as we reflect and as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all, and we are his.